Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Elizabeth Dutton. Zarin. I got a question for you, girl. Yes, sir. Okay, so do you know what's ridiculous? I do. All right, share it with her brother. The Charmin Bears. The Charmin Oh, yeah, the ones that so sell toilet paper? Yeah. Why is that cr- crass? Because they're white bears and you think about Well, it's like the whole wiping. thing is like, does a bear... Oh, in the, blank, in the woods. In the woods. Oh, yeah, like the, the, the Pope that's wear a funny the, hat. Like, that's the subtext. Oh, I thought it was because they're so clean. Like they're all well, white. Well, that's the thing like, is, and they're holding up toilet paper, yeah. being like, "Look how clean I am." I'm like, I don't want it. I want. I don't want that on my television. See, I don't ever think about the actual use of the, the toilet paper. Yeah, you don't think about poop all over their hands. <laughs> no, I do not think about poop or on the bears. Well, Zarin. Yes. Are you ready for the ultra soft charm and comfort? Oh my god, you back ended <laughs> me. So in love. Oh man. This bear hoodie is the perfect balance for lounging at home and a conversation starter when you're out and about. Uh Oh, I got you so good. (laughs) Oh, my God. Conversation ender. (laughs) So, Charmin, um, Uh at their online shop, which I did not know existed. Oh, you don't shop there? I do it all the time. That's where I get my socks. That's where all your toilet paper comes from? Well, um, we got this from Sarah Mm -hmm. on Instagram. She sent this to us. And uh, gave gave me the old heads up. It's a bear hoodie. Okay. And you like hoodies. You I do love hoodies. I'm wearing one now. It's a it's a white hoodie, and on the hood are little tiny bear ears, which okay. is just the cutest little thing. Sure. But then on the front, uh-huh. there's a bear, a cartoon bear, like as seen in the ads, wiping itself. But it's not wiping itself. Oh. <laughs> on your face, just like arm back. <laughs> Sorry, it's like with like really long nails, and you're like, how are you doing that? Anyway, no, it's the bear is standing there with his, with his arms crossed. Okay. And totally rude dude in it with some sunglasses on. Nice. And then next over it in the words are own the throne. (laughs) And it's $29.99. There's a limited quantity. It's called the bear hoodie at Charmin.com. I feel bad for the throne. It got owned by a bear. Yeah, by a bear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's ridiculous. I know. I'm certifying that one. Thank you. Wow. 
Okay, well, if you got a second, you know, if you just like, uh, can you cool your jets? Because I got one for you. <sighs> Hold on. Yeah, okay, I'm good. All right, well, just to start off with this one, uh, you take a deeply religious boy, right? Okay. And you, and you have that boy, you have him grow up to become a deeply religious con man. Oh. Yeah, right? So this deeply religious con man, he's so good at faking things, he basically becomes an imposter. And at one point, he finds himself in a predicament where he's the only... Uh, air quotes, surgeon aboard a destroyer in wartime. And then the captain calls on him to operate on 19 wounded soldiers aboard ship. He's the only one who can save their lives. And I won't tell you if this was successful or not, Elizabeth. Oh, no. Yeah, right? But I will tell you this much. My man Fred, he pulled off so many outlandish crimes that only an imposter can do that this imposter became so good that the folks in Hollywood, they got the actor Tony Curtis to play him in the movie. No way. Yeah, and better yet, America wasn't mad at him for all of his impostering ways. If anything, the people loved him for being the great imposter. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> like Foghorn Leghorn or that. I know, I was just having a little fun. You I know. like it. Elizabeth, did you play make-believe when you were a little girl? No. No. Of course I did. What did you like to pretend? Like, what's your thing? I like to pretend that somebody loved me. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> no. did you ever have, like, did you play jobs? Like, were there jobs oh, yeah. you wanted to be? yeah, I totally loved, like, playing jobs. Like, I liked to pretend that I worked in an office. <laughs> okay. That's and so I would, you. like, write out paper, like, forms. <laughs> you filled out paperwork. <laughs> and then, like, play with a calculator. <laughs> you had an imaginary and stapler and an imaginary know, organizer. <laughs> little did I know I was, like, cursing myself through a life of <laughs> medial labor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, me, I always imagined uh, crazy adventure fantasies, uh-huh. as you already well know. I would also, though, I would play make believe with my little sister, and mm-hmm. she liked to play house. She wasn't as um, business minded yeah, as you were. I played were. office. Yeah. She, she <laughs> or I played uh, like dog wrangler. Oh, that was my that's other a good one. one. I like to pretend that I had a bunch of dogs. And, I mean, I did have a bunch so of dogs. So you pretty much just pretended your future. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. I yeah. Know. See? Yes. <laughs> I did not. I, I did things like play house with my sister. Oh, and okay. I, I, you know, I have no children. I own no home. I, just, <laughs> well. I didn't really do the stuff, right? So, but anyway, my point was that for me to be able to play house with my sister was because if I wanted to play demolition derby or whatever with me, I had to play house. And every time I would play house, my whole goal was always to be named John. I was always like, yeah, call me John. And that was like, that was like <laughs> my thing. Like, I don't know why. My fantasy was to have a boring name. Fantasy John. Yeah, I just really wanted to be this guy named John who just did normal things. And John's and she, got, he's like, you're like, look, you're eight years old. My name's John. I got acid reflux. Exactly. Uh, my feet hurt. My cotton doctors are creeping up. <laughs> So that was my whole fantasy, right? <laughs> so the guy I want to tell you about today, he was like the opposite of my fantasy. Okay. So he always wanted a new name, which is much like me, but he also wanted a new name so that he could help people, not oh. just become invisible like me. You know? Yeah. So in my research on this story, I came across this really nice passage from the Hammond, Indiana Times newspaper, and it was all about the childish games of make-believe we play. Do you got a second? I sure do. Okay. Quote, simply by donning a cape and mask, little chaps 
are Superman. A crown of silver paper and some tired pearls transform a baby doll into a princess. Nurse and doctor kits do medical teams make of youngsters yet unsure of their life's work. Then that old devil reality begins its gnawing business, and suddenly we are dull, circumstantial citizens. Dreams gone, illusions, delusions, and all that cloud-like vision of greatness melted away in the stern actuality of life. We are actors no more. One role has settled upon us, smothering all glimpses of those enchanting people we might have been. Wow. Nice, right? Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, I want to tell you about my man, Ferdinand de Mera. Ferdinand de Mera. Yeah, he preferred if you called him Fred. But actually, no, he preferred if you called him anything but Fred. So really, <laughs> okay. I'll be honest. Uh, as the Hammond Times put it, Fred de Mera, quote, was the most successful imposter of our time. He was not content with such dreaming. His roles were not the usual guises of phony Italian counts or Russian princesses assumed for the all-too-usual purpose of fleecing rich ladies. Not old Fred. Not my man Fred. He was called the great imposter because he never really hurt anyone. In fact, if anything, he was a con artist just so that he could help people lessen their suffering. Right, right? said Fred. <laughs> hey <laughs> I'll just go with that one. Hang. <laughs> so my man Fred Demera, what made him so damn special, as I keep basically pointing out, is he conned others to profit Others. I love that. Right? I thought you'd like this guy. Okay, so he's born in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and my family, some of my family currently lives there, so I've recently been back there. I was totally able to picture it when I was like, you know, I'm imagining those big red brick mill town buildings. So I was loving this story, right? Mm -hmm. Now, did you, you know this? Uh, in 1912, there was the great Lawrence textile strike. I Otherwise know. known as the Bread and Roses strike. Oh, right. Okay. I figured you'd know yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. So now that phrase, Bread and Roses, it comes from a poem. And I figure you know this. It was published one year prior the, in 1911, written by James Oppenheim. And the verse of the poem said, hearts starve as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. Mm -hmm. Right. And I always love that. The Bread and Roses phrase, it became the rallying cry of these textile workers out on strike. Give us bread, but give us roses too. Now, while the Bread and Roses strike was led by Big Bill Haywood and Elizabeth Gurley Flynn and all these, inter the International Labor Union, the Wobblies, the IWW, the local leaders were primarily Italian immigrants who'd recently immigrated to the States. Hmm. Fred Damara's people, right? Okay. So he's of this crowd. And that strike was so successful that it led to congressional hearings and the fat cat bosses had to give up raises and give more hours. And uh, if you want to know more, the folk singer, you, Utah Phillips, he's got a great song right. all about this. So my point is nine years after the bread and roses strike, Fred DeMera is born in Lawrence, born into this hotbed of labor and, and immigrant pride. And he wants to be a good American, right? So his father's rejectionist at the local cinema. Things are good for Fred Sr. and the family. That Lawrence has really come along, you know, and uh, his job pays well. And Fred Jr. can go to the movies and he sees all these stories of life outside of Lawrence flickering on that screen before mm -hmm. him. And he wants some of that big, wide life. So just like the mermaid Ariel, Fred DeMera <laughs> longed to be a part of their world. That's for you, Elizabeth. <laughs> Thank you. Now, all of a sudden, all this is going along great. And boom, the Great Depression happens. Boom. Right? And you yeah. know, that's not a good one. His father loses his job. The DeMeras lose their middle class status. They got to go and downsize. They move into a cold water flat. This is really hard for young Fred DeMera. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to go be a part of the world. I, I can't. Like my dad, there's just nothing here for me anymore. At age 16, he runs off to go become a man. Mm -hmm. The year is 1937. 
Where, what's his first stop? 16-year-old boy out in the world. Wait, okay. 37? 1937. Where do you go? You're a 16-year-old boy. Did you he join to... the Navy? It's a good guess. Oh. He joined a monastery. Oh, okay. An order of Cistercian monks. <laughs> now, the the monastery that he went to was located in producer Dave's home state of Rhode Island. Well, you know, it actually makes sense if you're if it's, you know, you're in the Depression, you need to get fed. Yeah, totally. You need a you know, place to stay. You need a bed, yeah. some food. Well, I think food. you and I had a conversation a while back about what would you do if you were completely destitute and homeless? And how would you survive on the streets? And oh, yeah. I was like, I would walk to a convent and be like, sign <laughs> me up. Where's the pen? Where, where's the pen? Give me the habit. I'm in. Because then, you know, you're at least got food, shelter, and people who care about you. Oh, yeah, totally. And they some vows to make sure they keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're good. Now, Fred, he finds a new home with the brothers. He takes your advice of, like, just where's the pen? Sign me up, right? Yeah. So, Elizabeth... How much do you remember about all the Catholic orders of monks from what we were taught in Catholic school? Oh, man. Like, do you remember the different orders of monks and, like, how they have their own colors, like street gangs? I can barely remember my street address. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, let's play a little game here. Yes. I'll name an order of monks, see if you can remember the color that's their color. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, you know, don't forget, I, I went to a Catholic high school with nuns. Yeah. So, so? I mean, I, okay. What? So the nuns, they, uh, they, I know they don't have the color orders the same. They don't the throw gang colors. Yeah, like they're the not like, like a boy's gang where yeah. they're like, hey, here's our colors. Here's our secret <laughs> sign language. Right? Well, okay, let's just go. The, the like different colored bandanas hanging out of their back pocket. For real. Hey, I mean, practically, it's different colored rosaries. But okay. yeah, so, okay, so uh, the Franciscans. Me. I don't know. Gray and black. Think of uh, Padre Pio. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Dominicans. Blue. All white. They're the one with the rosary hanging on their oh, hip. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, the Jesuits. Trick uh, question. They have no special uniform. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. En- enough with the guessing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the other orders, just so we can get through it, the Carmelites, they are brown. The mm-hmm. Cathusians are white. The Augustinians are black. And lastly, the Benedictines, black. Okay. All right. Now, the Benedictines, they're the wild bunch. They're the ones we're going to get into because... Their motto is pray and work, and they were serious about that work part. Now, Mm -hmm. this is the order that my man, Fred, decides to join at age 16. Now, technically, he joined an even more hardcore order of monks that had branched off from the Benedictines. They're called the Cistercians, Uh and they're known for their pure white robes and for their cloistered silence. The Cistercians would later become known by a different name because in the 17th century, at the French monastery, La Trappe Abbey, there, there was this reform movement, and they start calling themselves the Trappists. Oh. And the Trappist brothers, they make the great beer. Right. All right I knew you'd know right. them, right? They were like the most severe street gang of all the Catholic brothers, right? So okay. The Trap Monks, right? <laughs> so the Trap Monks, they're like straight edge monks because they're like practically vegetarian. They're known as the toughest order in the church. They even have their own street, na- like their own gang signs, basically. They have their own sign language because they're cloistered, because they, t- they don't take vows of silence per se. Right. But they only speak when spoken to. Uh-huh. And they have huge long periods of silence built into their day. I love so that. Most, <laughs> most of the brothers, they speak their own form of sign language to get through the silent parts of the day. Uh-huh. So they go around, like you just see them throwing gang signs around the abbey at each other. Not really, but well, no, you know, yeah. right? So they have a lot of opinions about language, these guys. Like, do you know that for them, they considered a lot of jokes evil? Oh, really? Yeah, because you end up laughing at someone. They think that laughing at the expense of others oh, is evil. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So anyway, wayward 16-year-old Fred Demare is like, this is for me. <laughs> oh, so Fred. I'm going to spend the Fred rest or... of my life on earth here. He was Ferdinand. Why didn't he go by Ferd? 
That's a good call. I don't know. Ferd. We should go back to him and be like, look, man, you should have been Ferdy the birdie. Right? Yeah, so, okay, so Ferd goes Ferd's and he a, he's, he, he's living with the brothers. And I remember I told you, like, they're the crazy, hardcore, structured ones. Like, they yeah. have a schedule. They wake up every morning at 3.30 a.m. Oh. They attend prayers, private prayers, from 4 a.m. for an hour and a half. And then it, they have breakfast at 5.30. Then mass at 7.30 every single day of their lives uh-huh. then they after their daily doses of the adventures of Jesus and his 12 underemployed buddies they start the great silence okay. right and then they work in silence until lunch and then, then then after that they take a little siesta then another lunch period another work period after lunch for three hours then some more prayers and then you know whatever they mm-hmm. finally around eight o'clock after they do you know three hours of brewing beer and banging coffin nails because apparently they're really good at making coffins, okay. they it's off to dinner time, more prayers, bed by eight o'clock. I love it. I figured you would. This is a schedule totally for you. It. I wouldn't get up at three thirty. I'd be like, you guys, I pray in my sleep, so I'll see you at seven thirty at mass. <laughs> but aside from that, I pray in my sleep. <laughs> I, do. I like that. I do. I have a very holy sleep. <laughs> Well, Fred DeMera, he's like, he's like, this life is the life for me. But it turns out he was wrong because after two years, the brothers were like, hey, man, you are not cut out for <gasps> oh, this life. Oh, he got kicked out. The head monk's like, you are not a Trappist, my brother. So he's like shipped off to a different monastery in Montreal. And then it's back to the States in Massachusetts where he works as a monk. He's teaching English and to fourth graders. He, he loves it. The kids love him. Well, wait, how old is he at this point? 18? Yeah, exactly. Huh. He's, he's basically a kid, right? Yeah. But he once again, he gets in a spat with a superior monk so he steals a station wagon and he takes off leaves his life as a monk behind wait he has a stolen monk station yeah, wagon he's exactly he just rolls out the <laughs> stolen monk wagon he like takes the rosary off the rearview yeah, mirror tosses all, no it out more. the window so uh after this what does he do what does fred do elizabeth grows in the bald spot he shaved off good call he joins the army oh so he shaved it all off yeah because it's 1941 and it's what everyone's oh, doing it's a patriotic yeah. thing to you're do right, you're so right. my man the uh religious Con man, he's now about to enter the next phase of his life. Uh-huh. And after this little break, I'll tell you about Fred DeMera hitting the military and the military going, ooh. Oh. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. 
Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash CB for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, Elizabeth. So yes. I told you about my man Fred Demera, aka Ferd. He aka uh, no way. He's after he's taken his monk wagon that he stole and rode off and said, "Hey, and, you know, basically tossed the keys to somebody." And said, "This is your car now. Where's the uh, army recruitment office?" And he goes and he joins the army. He's only in the army for a little while. <laughs> he, he doesn't really like the army life. He's like, I want to get back with the monks, man. This sucks. What does he do to make these people so irritated with him? No, he's irritated with them. Well, I know, but the monks kicked him out. So he, has, he, just he has like a problem a, with authority. Jabberjaw. No, no, he has a problem with authority. Mostly, it seems uh, like he's very smart. He has a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. He, he has a, a restless mind, and he doesn't do well with like because I I told you so kind of uh, orders. Okay, so. Okay. The army is not for him either. No. Right? It takes a little <laughs> while to figure that out. And once he figures it out, he's like, hey, man, he has this army buddy he's become friends with. And he's like, hey, man, Anthony Ignolia, I love it. How do you spell that name? And he, once he gets him to spell it, he's like, okay. And he takes off. He goes AWOL. And he tells everyone he's Anthony Ignolia. Oh, no. So he becomes Tony Ignolia. Right? And Fred DeBera now finally feels like he can be himself <laughs> as this guy. So what does he do now, Elizabeth? I have no idea. He goes right back to the Trappist monks, this time no. in Kentucky. And he's like, hey, I sure would like to become a monk. What would you? What do you fellas call yourselves? And he acts like he doesn't know anything, and he tries to go in as an, as an novitiate, right? Second gra- go around, also fails. Still wait, not cut out to be a monk. Wait. <laughs> so he went in as Tony. As Tony Ignoria. And he's like, I mm-hmm. don't know anything yeah. about this. Nope. But then he's thinking, like, I'll show them I'm really good. Exactly. Still doesn't work. That's like when I was in college, you have to have, like, your um, language yeah, requirement. Totally. And I had taken French all through high school, and I, instead of testing out of it, I just wanted A's. <laughs> he took French on one. My, yeah. And I acted like, what is this? <laughs> How? Je m- 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 apple Elizabeth. <laughs> and then I'm just, like, rocking all the tests. It was awesome. <laughs> I like that. See? So I'm kind of, I got a little furred in me. You got a little furred. I'm noticing some similarities yeah, between you yeah. two. Well, see if you can guess what he does. Um, once he's the tra- trap monks, second round, mm-hmm. it fails, right? So mm-hmm. now what does Tony Ignolia do? And he's in Kentucky? Yeah. I don't know. He goes and tries to become a monk in Iowa. He's like, I'm going to keep with this. <laughs> that goes nowhere for him. These so. aren't really like monk hotspots, no. I would think, either. Well, I mean, monks are everywhere. You know, you, you can find a monk anywhere. It's usually like real humid. <laughs> They just dark. like quiet places for yeah, what I find. True. But anyway, he returns home because he's still a young man. He's basically at this point 18 years old. So his father's surprised to see his son because last he heard he joined the army. It's wartime. They don't just let you out of the army right, in wartime. Right. So he's like, son, you know, you've deserted. He's like, oh, pop, you know, all these A-W-O-L terms people keep throwing around. His, his pops is like, son, you can't be AWOL. They'll lock you up. Now go back to the army and say you got lost or something. I don't know. <laughs> and so Fred's like, okay, pop, I'll do that. And he promises he'll go back to the army. So what does Fred do? He goes and joins the Navy. 
Well, close enough. <laughs> he got close. Close he was enough. Wrong office, right? <laughs> so he gets a spot this time as a hospital corpsman. So did he use his name or did he call himself Tony? Once again, he's Fred. He's back oh, to he's Fred. Back to Fred. Yeah, okay. because Tony's already in the service. So yeah, he can't be Tony. A... So they'll catch up to True. him. So he's like Fred again, but different service. He's like, okay. So Fred gets some medical training as a hospital corpsman, but again, he has a problem with these small-minded superiors. <laughs> so what does Fred do this time? Whoa, he God, does what? what Fred does best. He borrows the name of a sailor he knows. This time, instead of going AWOL, because that didn't work out for him yeah. last time, he fakes his death. He's like, I gotta go a step Wait. further. So he pretends to be somebody else, fakes his death, he leaves a goodbye note as Fred, puts it by the water's edge, and just lets the military figure it out. Oh my God. <laughs> so now, boom, he is Robert Linton French. And he goes off, he prefers and to so be called... so there are two Robert Linton Frenches in yes. the Navy now. Yeah, well, no, he's Dr. French. He just takes Dr. French... <laughs> The other one's dismissed. <laughs> yeah, he's so. What okay. does Fred do? Is Doctor French? Well, <laughs> you know, he decides. I've done the Navy. I've done the Army. I don't know. I'm going to go back to a monastery. This is where I'm probably the best. So he tries what? to become a monk again, this time as Dr. French. He's like, maybe they'll respect the doctor, and they won't give me so much lip. Yeah, so, so. He's, at first he's going to go in like, I don't know anything. Now yeah. he's like, no, I know everything. I know everything. The problem was I was I was a too low on the totem pole. <laughs> I need some letters in front of my name. Oh my so God. now he's Dr. French. He tries to be in the, in the monastery. This works for a couple weeks until he's accused of having faked documents. They're like, these documents are forged. He's like, what? How dare you? And he leaves. <laughs> He's like, well, I am third French MD and yeah, exactly. I'm out of here. What name did I tell you? <laughs> oh, darn. So he goes to a brother in Chicago. That doesn't work. Then he goes to Milwaukee. That doesn't work. Because in Milwaukee, they tell him his cooking sucks. And he's like, yeah, to hell with you monks. I'm out of here. Oh my God. <laughs> so Fred bounces east. He finds a spot in Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. At this point, he's like, I'm over the whole monks. These monks are jerks. I'm, yeah. t- I'm done with the monks. He's like, I'm going to go get a gig teaching. I'm Dr. French. So he goes to Gannon College. <laughs> he gets he gets, a, he gets a job. Well, and what is he, like 20 now? Yeah, pretty much. So he talks his way into becoming the dean of the School of Philosophy. So now he's like 20, 21 years old. He's the dean of Wait, the School of what? Philosophy in a tiny college. Yes. And he decides, you know what? That's not enough because if I'm the dean, I should probably be publishing. So he publishes a book. So, so he's saying he's a medical doctor, although maybe well, he's like a, doctor. A psychologist. He's saying he's a psychologist. Well, either doctor. way. Yeah. So he's okay. Uh-huh. All right. So as a doctor uh, French, he, he by the way, he's no more of a parent than I am, right? Uh-huh. But Fred doesn't let that stop him. So he writes a book called How to Bring Up Your Child. No. <laughs> yeah, he's like barely out of childhood himself. <laughs> exactly. Babies raiding babies. So <laughs> the book does reasonably well. But then again, he's accused of uh, this time forging checks. So Fred's like, hey, what's that over there? He blows with the wind. He's gone, right? Uh-huh. So Fred disappears. He finds himself on the West Coast. He drives all the way across the <laughs> continent. He's out in Los Angeles. He's like, there's a bunch of wackos out here. Nobody will follow me. <laughs> he gets a gig at a sanitarium, literally just like hanging out in a sanitarium being Dr. French. Okay. So he moves on, moves north to Seattle. He gets a job at another small college. He's like, I liked college life. That was good for me. And he gets it. He's working. It's great. Things are gangbusters up in Seattle. Sleepy area, small college. But then one day the FBI comes calling because they've been looking for him since he's a deserter. So right? they've, been, they've been after him for months. So Fred gets arrested for desertion. They take him back to the Navy. He gets tossed into the barracks, uh, disciplinary barracks in San Pedro, California. He spends 18 months behind bars. So he's Uh like, okay, well, he needs to think about what he's done. That's like the longest time he's done anything. Anything, yes. It's pretty much, since he's been in his mother's womb, this is the longest time he has (laughs) sat still, right? So Fred's like, okay, I'm going to think about what I've done. Hopefully that's what you would want for him. Maybe come out, rehabilitate it. 
Not so much for Fred. He comes out, he's like, I got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> so he starts a new life. This time he starts his own university. He's like, I don't want to mess around what? with having colleges hire me. I'll hire them. Right. So Fred, he assumes a new fake identity. He becomes a Catholic monk again because he knows all the rights. Okay. So okay. this time he's in Maine. He becomes Brother John Payne of the Christian Brothers of Instruction, right? So uh-huh. his brother Payne with a Y. Okay. Brother Payne, he decides to found his own university. He moves up to the town called Alfred, Maine, and he this small college, it becomes official. He gets a state charter, the Are whole you thing. Serious? Oh, yeah. And in 1951, he uh, decides to leave his new university after starting it about that a year earlier because the administration decides not to name him as either the college's rector or as the chancellor. That that bums him out. He's like, you guys, I started He's this like, place. He's like, this is my thing. Is, it, is the college still in existence? Oh, yeah. And by the way, he hated the name of it, so that was another reason he wanted to leave. He's like, this is the name you guys chose? What was the name? La Manet College. Okay. But they've since changed their name and moved states. So they, well, <laughs> they moved to Ohio. It's a little suspicious. They moved to Ohio. They're now known as Walsh University. And Walsh University still exists, Uh just not in Maine. And uh, the president and CEO of FedEx, Ramona Hood, is an alumnus of Walsh University. Really? Go Cavaliers. Well, there you go. So anyway... 1951 is the year. America is once again at war, this time the Korean War. So Fred DeMera, who's with the Christian Brothers before he left you know, the university he founded, he meets a man named Joseph Sire. And this guy's nice enough fellow. He's a Canadian. They get along well. The two men, they play chess for like a week each night hanging out. They're conversing with each other. Things are going great. The doctor tells like him his whole life story, right? He's just asking him questions. He's just so flattered. This guy wants to know so much about him. Little, you know, does the doctor ever think of that exchange once they part ways? Yeah. But meanwhile, Fred DeMera decides he's now going to become Dr. Joseph Sire. <laughs> so it's March 1951, and the recruitment office for the Canadian Royal Navy, the doors swing open, in walks a young man who says he'd like to join up. Go over here, there's a war going on. He says he's a doctor, and he thinks he could be of assistance in the war effort. So <laughs> Canada had recently joined the fight with the NATO forces in mm-hmm. Korea. And young doctors, a welcome sight. So they're like, sir, oh my God, we'd love to have you. And he's like, yeah, like, do you have some paperwork? And, oh, of course I got paperwork. Pulls out Dr. Joseph Sire's paperwork, which happened to stick to his hand when he was hanging out with the good doctor. Oh my goodness. And the medical diploma, too, apparently, and his birth certificate. So now suddenly, Dr. Joseph Sire becomes Lieutenant Surgeon Joseph Sire. Like, he go, this man has trouble with authority and he just keeps <laughs> going, going to into like the authority. den of authority. Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> It'd be like if I, me, somebody who's allergic to bees was like, I want to become a beekeeper. I'm right? really into it. So anyway, the uh, young doctor, he, uh, he goes through training to become a lieutenant surgeon. This training would normally take about two months. It takes a day because it's wartime. <laughs> so they rush him through training. They get him out on a ship. And boom, Sergeant Lieutenant Dr. Joseph Sire is out to sea. Wait, and he condenses a two-month training into one day? Yeah, well, the Canadian Navy does because they're in such a rush. And they're, he's uh-huh. a doctor. He's got all the paperwork. What do we need to tell him? Just, you know, he knows how to tie his shoes. Get on the boat, <laughs> sir. So he's now the only surgeon, the only doctor for a ship of 211 sailors uh-huh. and eight officers headed uh-huh. to war. Oh, so boy. it doesn't take long for Fred to be called into action. Mm-hmm. So it's the captain of the ship. Fred stalls as long as he can, but mostly so he can speed read a medical textbook so he can know what he's going to do before he Are performs you? an operation. <laughs> he's got like the Merck manual and he's... I swear to God. Oh, so man. from the San Francisco Examiner, the March uh, 5th, 1961 edition, quote, his first assignment was to pull the skipper's tooth. 
a feat which he accomplished by staying up all night studying dentistry. He shot the captain's <laughs> jaw full of Novocaine as a precaution against taking a painful false move. Oh, that sounds easy enough, yeah. though. Well, that becomes Fred's basically his M.O. He he had a heavy hand with the Novocaine. Yeah, And sure. with the penicillin. He sure. was either one. Jab, jab, That's jab. That's the thing. You know, you just... With those two, you can't go wrong. No. And if you're pulling a tooth, like, come on. Yeah, he's like, if 10 cc's is good, 50 cc's is way better. Exactly. So the captain's pleased. He said, quote, it was the nicest tooth pulling job I've ever had. So apparently Fred <laughs> does great work, right? Meanwhile, Fred, whenever he has a chance, he's speed reading all the medical literature on the boat. Oh everything he can find, right? <laughs> so now, of course, what he fears will come to pass comes to pass. There is a medical emergency, a real medical emergency, not just a um, tooth pulling. They arrive in the theater of war, and 19 wounded soldiers are brought aboard the ship. And boom, it's Fred to Maritime. Now, oh, all of a sudden, boy. Dr. Joseph Sire's moment to shine is here. He is, as I might remind you, the only doctor on board. Uh-huh. It's up to him to save all 19 lives. Oh, and my God. Fred tells the corpsman aboard the ship to prepare his operating room in the captain's quarters, and then he hides in his office, and he starts speed reading on open chest surgery. I would be doing that already if you're going, he's probably look, look, looking up like ingrown toenails. And, no, <laughs> get to the get to the gory stuff first. <laughs> this is the great imposter's greatest test yet. Well, I'd say, I mean, if you're going to be an autodidact, start with what's most important and then work your way back. Yeah, that's, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Start brain surgery and get to heart and then work your way out. <laughs> exactly. So from the Bridgeport Post newspaper, Sunday, July 5th, 1959, this is a, uh, comes this quote. Three soldiers of the 19 were seriously hurt. All of them, unless they received competent surgery within the next day, would die. Never before had he felt, at the same instance, such an imposter and such a complete, lonely, isolated fraud. There was no place to run and no place to dodge. No assurance that he could find the courage or whatever ingredient it would take to begin surgery of the three Koreans who lay on bunks, drugged by heavy doses of morphine. So, can he fake it until he makes it as a field surgeon? (laughs) Elizabeth, I'd like you to close your eyes and picture it. My eyes are closed. All right. You're aboard the RMS Cayuga as it powers across the Pacific Ocean, somewhere just off the coast of Korea. You're currently in a makeshift operating room. You are the corpsman responsible for assisting the lieutenant surgeon, Dr. Joseph Sire. Demera, a.k.a. Dr. Sire. <laughs> anyway, he tells you his plan for the 19 operations before you, before he begins. He says, quote, the less cutting you do, the less patching you have to do afterwards. hey And with that, into the surgery, you two hop. Now, you nod and hope that he means everything about not too much cutting, because you also are not really ready for this. <laughs> but you buck up and you're ready for it, so you have no reason to suspect it, but the doctor is just as nervous as you. He looks really calm, but inside, trembling. So, no strike that, you're more nervous than he is. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that back. So anyway, the lives are in both your hands, and as you begin to operate on the first wounded soldier, you hear the familiar surgical refrain. Scalpel, <laughs> followed by hemostat, and then he repeats that hemostat, and you look over and you hand him the scissor-style clamps. He starts clamping off blood vessels, and then blood spurting. You're like, oh, but Dr. Sire is quick. Hemostat, he's got another clamp, and you're able to stay with him. He's able to staunch the bleeding. Once it stops flowing, he's able to dig into the fresh wound. After a tense moment of mining for metal in another man's gut, he pulls out a foreign body, a bullet. He sutures up the gaping wound. On to the next one. Oh, 18 God. more to go. Oh, God. The second soldier needs his lung collapsed. You help the doctor to relieve the pressure. You hold the patient as he perforates his flesh with a careful puncture into the lung tissue. The lung hisses, and Ooh. boom, just like that, the patient can now breathe normally. It's on to patient 17. <laughs> it's an amputation. It's a messy, bloody affair. Patients 16, 15, and 14 
Gunshot wounds pretty easily, mostly clamps, sutures, some bandaging. Patient 13 is finally stable and he's ready for surgery. He has a bullet lodged in his chest. It's dangerously close to the man's heart. It's pinched deep into his chest, right next to the aorta. Fred, aka Dr. Sire, tells you this one will be a million to one chance. And okay. then he dives in. His, he wipes the nervous sweat from his face. His smock already looks bloodstained. It looks like a Civil War field surgeon. Dr. Sire pries open the chest of the soldier. You open up your mouth and gape with just a shock at the look of the splintered ribs. Oh, God. That's going to make things dicey. You hear Dr. Sire call out, coagulating agent. You hand it over to the surgeon. He practically pours it all over the open chest wound. After much delicate handiwork, Dr. Sire manages to delicately pull the bullet from the soldier's chest. He saves his life, and it's on to patient 12. As the destroyer continues to pitch and yaw in the rough seas, watching it all go down right there before you, even you can't believe it, but Dr. Sire saves them all. None of the soldiers die as a result of Fred Demera's amateur surgeries. All of them? Wow. All 19 are wow. saved, Elizabeth. I got to say, if I'm really picturing it, I would have passed out at the first guy. <laughs> like, I don't do blood. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you don't. I tried reason. to keep that pretty dry, right? That was good. Not that bad. Good. Other than the splintered ribs. Yeah. It, was, it was not yeah. like Albert Einstein's brain. Oh, huh? let's not. Oh. Okay. So let's take a quick break and I'll be back to tell you what happens that uh, is a result of him saving 19 lives. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, Elizabeth, we're back. Yes. Now, after his miraculous performance, Dr. Joseph Sire, a.k.a. Fred DeMera, mm -hmm. he becomes a hero back home in Canada. I mean, like a minor celebrity of well, the war sure. effort. I mean, he should be, right? That He's was just an incredible feat. Aboard ship performing 19 open heart surgery. I mean, right. come on now. Now, also, the fact he's an amateur, but people didn't even know that. It's even more miraculous <laughs> exactly. than they know. But anyway... 
He also becomes a hero in, and not just in Canada, but in the United States. Like people are really blown away by this effort. And they're also reading about the Korean War because of America's very involved. Right. Right. But one day there's this one person up in Canada who is reading the morning paper and they spit out their Canadian bacon. And they're like, <laughs> what in the name of Nova Scotia is going on here? And that person, mind you, was the mother of Dr. Joseph Sire. She didn't send her boy to actual real medical school just what? to see some schlemiel take credit for her being a life-saving Canadian in her son's name. So what does she do? She calls up the local paper and says, that's not my boy. She gives them the scoop. Oh, whoa. Now there's a counterwave to the story that just swept across Canada, and that counterwave sweeps back in the other direction. And eventually that wave reaches a destroyer way out at sea. Oh, no. And the news, <laughs> when the news reaches the Cayuga, the Canadian naval destroyer where Fred DeMera has just saved all 19 soldiers and everyone's still celebrating, yeah. the captain, remember his first patient, who he's become really close friends with, he comes up to Fred and he wants to tell him about the cable he's just received because he doesn't believe it. Yeah. Captain James Plummer, he's like, Head headquarters must have made a mistake here. Uh, duh, doctor, I, I don't know. I mean, this must be kind of, kind of foul in the paperwork. They're saying that you aren't you. And he's like, yeah, about that. Just, when, do, when do we get to a dock? I just want <laughs> plugs his nose and jumps over the side. <laughs> if only he could. Right now, at this point, this is the thing Fred DeMera has long feared. He has nowhere to run. Nowhere to go. He is stuck on a boat with all the people he's disappointed. Yeah. So it's pretty much a nightmare for him in the middle of the Pacific. So he tells his friend, the captain, the truth. And now Fred DeMera is Fred DeMera again. Mm. And he's transferred to a British ship. And she's then headed to Japan, which is then he's given speedy transfer and sent back to Canada to face charges. So from wow. the Windsor Star, November 20th, 1951, quote, in a 150-word statement, it announced last night that the man who was acclaimed for a series of brilliant operations while serving aboard the Canadian destroyer Cayuga is being discharged for misconduct. That's all. They just wanted a real it. quiet story. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, look over there. <laughs> is that Milton Berle? So the Windsor Star also reported, and I quote, that, the hoax was brought to light a month ago through Demera's fame, publication of a story dealing with his surgery and identifying him as Dr. Joseph Sire of Edmonston, New Brunswick, led to a wave of inquiries in New Brunswick. Subsequently, it was found that the authentic Dr. Sire is now practicing at Grand Falls, New Brunswick. He reported to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police his certification documents had disappeared mysteriously. Oh. So, no matter what any of all the reporters and, like, you know, newspaper men and women say, Dr. Sire, everyone who they go and speak to, they have only glowing remarks for the fake Dr. Sire. Okay, okay. They say, and I quote, all the medical authorities in the United Nations forces in the Far East with whom Demera came in contact have testified as to the extensiveness of his knowledge of medicine and surgery, and nothing has occurred to indicate either to the Royal Canadian Navy or to the authorities of other forces, America, mm -hmm. serving in Korea that he did not possess the competence of a fully qualified medical man. So no one's willing to back down on this. Right. Oh, so man. it wasn't just, but, you know, apparently it wasn't just a speed reading before each surgery. He had actually compiled an extensive medical knowledge, or so people claim. Now, he also was giving talks. Like, he, he at the Canadian Naval Headquarters, he gave seminars to other doctors about internal medicine. Like, he was... You're kidding. Oh, yeah, remember, so far he, as... To, yeah, so the, the newspaper men and newspaper women, they eventually tracked down his father. And they get some great quotes from him about his son, the great imposter. And his father, Fred DeMera Sr., said of his boy Fred that, quote, he was bright to the point of genius. Things came easily to him, and he read constantly. There was nothing bad in him. He always wanted to help others, especially those who were suffering. I have no doubt this attitude led him to the trouble he is in. Huh. Right, which is obviously very true. Yeah. So, and also his father points out that Fred was, quote, always a deeply religious boy until he was 16. From then on, he traveled the world in a world of his own, and he would confide in no one. 
Huh. A little sad, right? Yeah. So on the Canadian shores now, Fred has to face a naval board of inquiry, and that's not good. No. So the panel of uniformed officers weigh his service record and his scope of crimes in the year that he was in the Navy, and they have to decide on his punishment. So what do you think they're going to do with this life-saving hero, Fred DeMera? Uh, I don't know. I uh, hope they, like, give him an actual education and let him do his thing. I don't know. That's pretty good. I, I like it. You have a good heart. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this much. In 1961, the Hollywood makes, makes a movie about him called The Great Imposter, and it uh, stars Tony Curtis as Fred DeMera, right? Towards the end of the movie, they, you know, they dramatize this scene. And uh-huh. Tony Curtis faces off against the Naval Inquiry Board, and Tony, as Fred, gives this impassioned speech on his own behalf. But the rousing speech is also the opposite of the sort of appeal that someone like me would make. Like, if I was guilty, I'd be talking about it in much different terms. Yeah. He just he centers his guilt and innocence on others. It's very Fred. So huh. Tony Curtis bursts into the room, right? And the naval officers are all around this big oak table. And he says, I think I have a possible solution to this uh, situation, right? And the naval brass, they agree to hear him out. They seal the door. So Tony Curtis says, and I quote, gentlemen, there sometimes exists a real conflict between the letter and the spirit of the law. It is the letter of the law that the guilty should be punished. But it is also the spirit of the law that the innocent should be protected. Unfortunately, some innocent people are involved in this case. Good people, whose only fault was that they accepted and believed in me. I've heard them. One in particular enough. Now, a prolonged trial would only cause them and the Navy further embarrassment. Sir, I beg you, drop the case against Fred W. Demera. <laughs> So he asked them to drop the case for others, yeah. to protect themselves yeah. and others. I don't want you guys to embarrass yourselves. You better stop. Yeah, he ends it up with, he's like, let me walk out that door, and I promise you, within an hour, I will be on a train and out of Canada for good. And I 100% believe him on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he'll steal a station wagon if he has oh, to. Oh, yeah, he'll blow town when it comes to it. So that's basically what I like to think went down, because inside this closed-door military meeting room, which we do not have record of, all we know is that Fred DeMera goes in as Dr. Joseph Sire, comes out as Fred DeMera, and he's granted an honorable discharge as Dr. Joseph Sire to get him out of the Navy. What? He's then sent back to America with a few hundred bucks that they call back pay. <laughs> and once he's back in the States, Fred DeMera becomes a minor celebrity as the great imposter. Everyone hears this story. So yeah. as a touch of accuracy for the Korean War, the TV show MASH would later have an episode called Dear Dad Again. It was about Captain Adam Casey, who was this fake doctor who did real surgery in Korea. Oh, cool. Right? Very Fred. I so, wonder, did the real doctor, did he get to, like, collect benefits and stuff? Oh, it's interesting. Being, uh, I don't think so. I, I don't I don't think... I, I think, mean, I'd give it a shot if I <laughs> Well, once Fred DeMera's back in the U.S., and he's once again Fred, he now has to make a new life for himself. But the problem is, is everyone's on to him now. They've seen his face. His face is everywhere on the news. So what does he do if he can't run away? Just goes right into the spotlight. He decides to sell his life. Yes. So he sells his life story to, appropriately enough, Life Magazine. Perfect. So the magazine does this big, glossy feature on him. They bill him as public rascal number one. Public rascal. In a hype sheet for the new issue of Life, they had a description of what was inside. Mm -hmm. And they said, quote, If you act like you belong somewhere, even people who know you don't belong are hesitant to call you on it. People are so insecure. Deep in their souls, they feel they don't belong either. This shrewd appraisal of human weakness helped make Ferdinand Waldo Demera Jr. the most successful and most daring imposter of our day. Although he never graduated from high school, Demera has brilliantly lived many roles, including those of a college dean of philosophy, assistant warden of a large prison, a Benedictine teacher, and the surgeon of the Royal Canadian Navy, where he performed major operations with the aid of a surgery handbook. Act like you know. Exactly. I knew you would love that. It's your thing. It is. 
So once again, capitalizing on this rollicking and fickle nature of fame, Demera gives the press a few memorable quotes. Uh, one of my favorites was, quote, Where but in America could a man do all I've done? That's what I call freedom. Yes. <laughs> Rubbing it in the face <laughs> of the Constitution. Bless America. <laughs> so around the same time, he stars an episode of the TV quiz show You Bet Your Life with Groucho oh, Marx. Oh, right. Okay. Right? And Groucho Marx is old, but he's still ever quick. So the two of them are going battering back and forth and having a good time. And Fred Demera, he's an amiable guest. And he shows flashes of why he is Fred Demera. You, if you watch it, you're like, oh, I can, that guy's charming, yeah. right? He makes a thousand bucks on the game show. He tells Groucho that the money's going to his favorite charity. It would be donated to the, quote, Feed and Clothe Fred Demera Fund. <laughs> So, yes. <laughs> now, funny as it was, there was a lot of truth to that statement because, as I said, what does an imposter do once they've been caught? Now they're on TV and in yeah. Life magazine. There's nowhere for Fred to run, so no one he can become. So, right. luckily for Fred, he'd cross paths with this writer, the one who wrote about the Life magazine article. Uh-huh. He'd come to him and basically given him that story because the guy had once looked after Fred when he was down and out. And he's like, look, I'm going to do you a solid. Here's my life story. Totally works for him. Yeah. He not only gets the Life magazine, he's able to spin it into a book of all about course, Fred, right? Of course. Exactly. So this writer, Robert Crichton, he hangs out with Demera a bunch for the magazine story. They get along well. And it's such an epic series of hangs and chill sessions that Crichton <laughs> ends up writing two books about Fred. Oh, really? Yeah, the first was the biography, The Great Imposter, which became the movie, uh-huh. and a New York Times bestseller. And then the second book was called The Rascal on the Road, and it documented their eight-week cross-country road trip as they revisited a lot of Fred Demera's past like haunts. Like, like yeah, this is the... the prison where I was a pretend warden. <laughs> like, and, travels with Ferd. Exactly. <laughs> Apparently it was a phenomenal trip. Life magazine called it a, quote, hilarious eight-week cross-country tour. Oh, like, a real romp. Yeah, it was like, like you know, some, uh, I don't know, Hunter S. Thompson-level road trip energy. <laughs> so during his two-month-long trek uh, with Fred DeMera, he learns a great deal about Fred, and he also learns what made the mystery wannabe monk tick, right? Oh, so yeah. he has a couple of things I thought I'd tell you. One, one he said, quote, Demera had come to two beliefs. One was that in any organization, there was always a lot of loose, unused power lying about, which can be picked up without alienating anyone. The second rule is, if you want power and want to expand, never encroach on anyone else's domain. Open up new ones. Now, that's, that's a really wise. key idea. Yeah. yeah, For any group dynamic, whether it's work or school or friends or even family, it's always true. And Demera basically is he further elaborates on this idea. The, the way you expand your power and is like finding the vacuum or in the absence of others, as Fred might put it. And he says, quote, if you come into a new situation, don't join some other professor's committee and try to make your mark by moving up in that committee. You'll, one, have a long haul and two, make an enemy. Instead, Fred says, you either want to find or make your own committee. And remember, this is a man who started his own university. Yeah, he knows exactly. what he's talking about. So as DeMary continued, quote, that way there's no competition, no past standards to measure you by. How can anyone tell that you aren't running a top outfit? And then there's also no past laws or rules or precedents to hold you down or limit you. Make your own rules and interpretations. Nothing like it. Remember, expand into the power vacuum. So there it. you go. Now, however, however you'd like to said. He would prefer that you not fully imitate him as an imposter. Uh, mm-hmm. That part he still thinks is just for him. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, as, as he found, it, it hurt a lot more people than he intended, yeah. and he really uh, re- came to regret that. As Damara said, quote, In this little game I was playing, there was always comes a time when you find yourself getting in too deep. You made good friends who believe in you, and you don't want them to get hurt and delusioned. You begin to worry about what they'll think if somebody exposes you as a phony. 
Now, after his moment in the spotlight faded, uh, Fred became a drinker. He, oh. he moved to Texas. He got a job in prison working as a pastor. But then an old copy of Life magazine bubbled up to the surface in the prison library. Someone recognized him as Fred DeMera because he wasn't using that name at the oh, time. Oh, no, he, he wasn't. Loses his, oh, he loses his job. Fred. He moves on. He goes to Southern California. Eventually, he, he ends up giving the last rites to one of my heroes. What? I swear to God. Elizabeth, can you guess which of my heroes I'm talking about? I'll, give, I'll narrow it down. He's a Hollywood actor, and he died in 1980. I don't know. Steve McQueen. Fred DeMera gave Steve McQueen his last rites on Earth. No. They became tight friends, and he went down with him when he went to get, like, uh, cancer treatment in Mexico. So in November 1980, Steve McQueen passes away. Fred DeMera is there at his bedside. He's with the family down in Mexico, his wife, children, whole bit. Oh, my right? God. Now, Tony Curtis, uh, he, he played a bunch of, like, amazing roles, right? I yeah. really love Tony Curtis. I loved him in the Billy Wilder movie, Some Like It. One of my favorite parts, him is Josephine or Joe. Uh, but if you ask Tony... His favorite part he ever played was Fred DeMera in The Great Imposter. Yeah. In my research, I found one last thing that I wanted to tell you about that Fred said. It was particularly heartbreaking. It was something I did kind of suspect when I was reading through his stuff. Mm -hmm. He said, and this comes from the July 5th, 1959 issue of the Bridgeport Post-Sun. Quote, what I hated most was being DeMera again. Who was DeMera? Any way you looked at it, Dr. French was somebody. Good or bad? Good or bad, DeMera? That guy was a bum. Oh. Right? So here was this guy trying desperately not to be himself. And it was all due to what I imagine was some economic shame from the Depression era mm -hmm. when his father lost status and that's when all of his life gets broken up, uh -huh. right? And from that point on, Fred just longed to help people and to cure people and to soothe people and to, like, you know, care for strangers. And to yeah. do it, he broke all kinds of laws, you know? <laughs> he was basically the Robin Hood of imposters. It sounds like It was like yeah. Fred DeMera crimed to give back to the unfortunate. Yeah. You know, so what's our ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth? I think, again, act like you know. Right? It's your rule. Always act like he you know. He is the best exemplar I could find He's of it. He's the perfect example. And he did like you did it. He did it for others. He didn't do it like I do, which is, you know, <laughs> for the Zeekster. <laughs> <laughs> do it for old Dizzy. <laughs> exactly. Well, you can obviously always, always find us online at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you know, do it. Go over Why there. Why not? Do it. Do it. Do it. Now, uh, the Talkback app on do iHeart. Do the Talkback. Do that too, huh? And uh, you can email us if you want at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. Do it. <laughs> now, thanks for listening. We always enjoy having your company. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by our brother superior, Dave Kustin. Researches by Marissa. Sure, you can call me Dr. Brown. And Andrea, I too am a doctor, song charpentier. Our theme song is by our onboard surgeon, Thomas Lee, and our visiting thoracic specialist, Travis Dutton. Executive producers are Ben, founder of Bolin University, Bolin, and College of the Knoll, Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.